Welcome to the Packet Pushers Heavy Networking. In today's sponsored show, we're diving deep into automation and orchestration of ORAN-based 5G networks with our sponsor, Juniper Networks. So the transition to 5G networks represents a significant opportunity to implement new infrastructure that's using software operations. So in practice, every part of a 5G network from the tower, base stations, and nodes, they're roughly similar to data centers, and workloads have been moved from physical appliances to software instances, and these instances are not restricted to a single location. We're also going to get into network slicing, which allows for a multi-tenant 5G infrastructure, but this means many instances of services. That also leads to many instances of virtual appliances that operate both in near real-time and real-time, or non-real-time. The near real-time requirement puts specific needs on the infrastructure known as a RAN interface controller, or RIC. The RIC is part of Open RAN to schedule workloads according to need, real or non-real-time, and we're going to dive deep into RICs and other elements of Open RAN with our guest, Konstantin Polychronopoulos. He is VP of 5G and Telco Cloud at Juniper Networks. Konstantin, uh, welcome to the, the podcast. First, can you get us started with RIC, this um, RAN uh, interface controller? What is that? Yes, Greg, uh, thanks. Actually, you did a great job describing the, the RIC. Uh, uh, the rest is uh, mere details, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just details, that's right. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, just a minor correction. Uh, you refer to the RIC as the RAN, if I recall, uh, interface controller. It's, uh, it's slightly different. It's the RAN intelligence controller. It's all about intelligence. So the way I like to think about the RIC is the operating system of the new radio architecture, the new RAN architecture. Uh, just like um, you know, the operating system on a server, for example, pro provides you all the abstractions, the capabilities, the functionality to uh, install applications of all sorts, right? So you can focus on the utility, on applications, as opposed to how the processor works, et cetera. So, it's, it's uh, maybe not a great analogy, but it's uh, about the same. We used to have closed proprietary appliances running, essentially realizing the radio access network. With Iran now, with Eric, I'm sorry, we have the ability to anchor applications that address optimization in the run, open up possibility for uh, revenue generating services, Mm. Uh, essentially, the sky is the limit as to what you can do now on the run with uh, the radio intelligence controller, the RIC. So, Constantine, uh, let me make sure I've really got this. So, with elements of the RAN becoming software-based or becoming virtualized, what I'm getting from the RIC or the RAN intelligence controller is the ability to control those software elements and then use that to enable services. That's exactly true. Exactly. You can get uh, visibility into what is going on on the run. You can use events that you can expose to the RIC and build upon those events applications that drive optimization, like energy efficiency. If one of your uh, microcells, for example, is not utilized, you can shut down some of the microservices that run that part of the network, right? Saving energy, for example. Energy is a huge part of the cost of the right. topics of the, of the run. Um, so when you yeah. say software, what you're actually saying is, like in 3G and 4G, I've worked in 3G networks. We used to have a whole bunch of hardware appliances and they would all do, you know, like the radio decoding the digital signal off the radio. And another one would be 3GPP signaling. And then there'd be firewalls and a whole bunch of different things. We're actually talking here about taking all of those hardware appliances that used to exist in the base station of a 5G tower and turning them into, well, VMs or containers. Is that basically it? That's exactly true. Right. Uh, and then... Now, the, the trick here, too, is that the radio stuff is now being done in software, where before it was done 
almost in hardware. So the decoding used to be done in almost like analog equipment and then moved to custom appliances with a combination. But now we're actually doing it almost completely in software as well. And that's where this real-time processing versus non-real-time processing comes in. That is correct. When we refer to the RIC in, in particular, and you know we, had, uh, we have the non-real-time RIC, right? And the near-real-time RIC or the real-time RIC, the so-called RT or near-RT mm. and the non-real-time. Uh, it's slightly different, right? We're not mm. referring to the actual uh, um, you know, latency involved, but rather to the visibility. The typical near-real-time RIC controls, manages, a dozen, a couple of dozen uh, microcells, uh, access points, for example. Mm-hmm. But the non-real-time rig has global visibility of the entire run, right? right. Uh, okay. Let's say across the country, as opposed to in a particular uh, locale uh, or in a particular region. Got it. But the non-real, you know, the the, no, the real-time requirements for processing, of course, when you deal with SRS signal processing, etc., you need to have extremely low latency processing capabilities. So right. we do now run everything in software, but you still have to, you know, rely on accelerators to be able to achieve those, the, the performance requirements for the run. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start to dig into a little bit more about uh, non-real-time RICs and near-real-time RICs. But before we do that, there's another element I want to make sure we understand, and that is the notion of open RAN. What is this open RAN movement? Yeah, you know, there is a lot of confusion. We have the VRAN, and that's easy to uh, define. That's the virtualization of the RAN, right? Mm -hmm. As you said earlier, we're moving to software-driven everything in the RAN. The open RAN was can say, you know, the precursor to the ORAN uh, alliance, and that had to do, the, uh, it focused primarily on defining open interfaces between the network elements. We took the BBU, the baseband unit, right, and we split it into uh, different components uh, that now are run in pure software form, either virtualized or containerized. And these components like the DU, the distributed unit, the central unit, they have to communicate, right? So those interfaces are open. That was the drive of open run, in addition to softwareization of the run. As we move to the ORAN alliance, that's where now the standards take form. They codify all of these interfaces and they specify the data models that need to be used, uh, the interfaces, even the functionality that needs to be supported Mm. uh, between the different components so that everything comes together and provides a cohesive architecture upon which you can now implement unconstrained applications. Got it. And this is is simple things like instantiating a VM or instantiating a container. Yes. Creating a container or creating a a VM is the first step, right, of Mm. setting up essentially the infrastructure, hardware, software infrastructure, and then you deploy the actual workload, right? And the workload can be part of the core uh, run function, like the DU or the CU, or it can be application, right? Mm. That leverages the rest of the radio components. So we split, you know, ORAN, and in 5G overall, the end-to-end architecture of the radio adheres to what we call CAPS the control user plane separation that is mandated also by 3GPP. So there is a very clear split between the data path, the data yes. plane where a user traffic flows and mm-hmm. the control traffic that can sit anywhere and oversee operation of the network across. Mm. All right, so I think we've clarified then open RAN and ORAN. Let's move back to near real-time RICs and non-real-time RICs. So can you give us that, that distinguishing again? What's the difference between a near real-time and a non-real-time RIC? 
Right. Uh, so the near real time, Rick, and I, we drive to make it real time. <laughs> so let's, for simplicity, let's call it real time, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, think of it as a supervisor of a number of radio units and DUs. Think of it, for example, take your uh, favorite region. You have a number of microcells that service that region, and you have a near real time rig uh, supervising, monitoring, and potentially managing the resources of those microcells. Now, the near real time rig is sort of local, right? It can uh, manage a dozen, two dozen microcells. And what it does basically, it monitors performance indicators of the run and deploys applications that manage, that optimize either the data plane traffic or the way the spectrum is allocated across different use cases, different users. It manages energy consumption, etc. The next level up is the non-real-time rig that has global visibility of the entire network across the UK, across the US, across, you know, whatever is the, you know, geography of the operator. And that's where interesting things happen. That's where you may have unsupervised learning capabilities that provide additional value and the ability to to really optimize at the global level. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So that might be a set of VMs that are doing artificial, you know, using ML or DL or AI to analyze a spectrum allocation and look for efficiencies and say, well, this tower is allocating this piece of spectrum, but it's not being used. Can I use it in some other way? Or can I change the the, the beam forming around my antennas to put more spectrum availability into a given area because, some, you know, new housing estate has been built there or the office block has suddenly got an extra 200 people in it, that sort of thing, right? That's exactly true, right? When it comes to beam forming, etc., this is probably the function of the near real-time rig, right? Because it mm. manages specific capabilities on uh, a, a bunch of, uh, you know, our use. Mm. But, you know, the non-real-time rig it, it beca- it comes uh, prominently to the forefront when you start thinking about network slicing, right? Where a network slice basically can be regional or it, it can be global. But you have things like, you know, the ability to shift radio resources to the users of that network slice based on real-time events, right? And and therefore, you need to have the ability to monitor slice usage across different microcells, different access points mm. that uh, cross different near-real-time rig domains. That's where the non-real-time rig comes into the picture. So and, this comes down to this idea of, uh, what we're seeing in some countries is the idea that towers are shared between multiple network operators. So the tower might be operated by company A, but telco XYZ are sharing the same tower. They would have their own RIC instances, non-real-time instances to do things like accounting and billing, collecting the billing and the logging information, stuff like that. Is that the right idea? It's slightly different, but mm. uh, this is a very interesting idea. A spectrum sharing, it cuts across, you know, the concept of uh, spectrum sharing where, uh, you know, operators have now the capability of shifting essentially or giving part of their spectrum that is unutilized to other MVNOs, other operators, et cetera, or even private mobile. So you can sort of auction unused spectrum mm-hmm. uh, for a period of time that you don't use it, right? So very interesting uh, use case. That is also enabled by the RIC. 
But yeah, it's it's slightly different though. Right. That, okay. That context, yeah. So uh, my presumption is one of the reasons we're talking about this is because Juniper is offering a RIC, and you can do that because in this open RAN framework, I'm not tied to one specific vendor for all of my components, so I can kind of mix and match and go with a, a best of breed solution. Very important uh, observation. Absolutely. So the all the components, part of the ORAN objective, right, is to enable the operator to mix and match and uh, select the best of breed of the different components to build, you know, the most optimized, the, the, the radio architecture that fits their uh, business objectives. So, uh, yes, the RIC can work with ADU from vendor A and a CU from vendor B and an RU from vendor C. Right in principle, so that's exactly what Oran, you know, tries to achieve by clearly defining the interfaces and giving specifications that enable vendors to go off and build their own, you know, solutions without worrying about interoperability. Okay, yeah, I'm thinking of this sort of as you know, putting it in kind of a enterprise data center framework. If I wanted to build a fabric uh, in my data center, I could use sort of a software overlay, and it doesn't really matter what the underlying hardware or even the NOS is, as long as they can all speak together. And that's what you're doing with a RIC. That is correct. Yes. Mm. It has to be said that this is basically taking all x86 computers, x86 servers, fundamentally, something that can run a VM or a container and using that to replace what was previously a bunch of proprietary hardware in the tower, the 5G base station. Have you actually been able to test this yet? Have you actually been able to get out there with customers and you know, say, why don't you deploy our RAN intelligent controller and see how it works? Yes, we are on a number of trials. We announced a trial with Vodafone group that we're doing. As we speak, actually, we, uh, we're moving from lab trial to field trial. Mm. Great results. The applications that we enabled there were... Uh, Traffic steering, admission control, traffic steering, and network slice SLA assurance. These are fundamental capabilities that uh, are enabled again in 5G through the RIC. Mm -hmm. And we are on a number of other trials uh, testing, you know, more forward-looking applications like energy efficiency and massive MIME optimization. We'll be able to talk about those in the coming months, I hope. All right. Now... I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about here is that Juniper is part of a whole group of vendors here, and you're forming relationships all over the place for this. So Juniper has partnered with a number of different companies like Intel for the Open RAN, for example, as a contributor, and you've done some acquisitions in this space. So I just think it's important to emphasize that Juniper recognizes that this is part of a, a bigger ecosystem. You're not trying to do the whole thing here. You're taking on a specific part of the 5G Open RAN, ORAN solution. Yes, we support the objective, the idea, and the idea of ORAN, right? Yeah. Uh, we're focusing on the radio intelligent controller on the RIC. Yeah. And we're working with uh, several partners to make sure that we have out-of-the-box interoperability with different RAN components, the DU, the CU. And that's the concept. That's the idea. That's what operators, that's what our customers need or mm. demand. That's what you know the community is driving for, right? Yeah. So you're right. Yeah, we're focusing on our strengths. We did make an acquisition about two years ago and we brought into Juniper what I believe was the foremost expert or set, you know, number of experts in that space, Netsia, was a team that was already building RIC uh, for the last five, six years. And now they are part of Juniper along with pretty extensive patent portfolio. 
Juniper invested on top of that acquisition. And now we have what I believe is the best solution in the market. <laughs> I may be slightly biased. Yeah, here, right? Take that with Forgive a grain of salt. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you, it sounds like my understanding it then is that the RIC is kind of like a means to an end in that when I've got the RIC in place, then I can do things like bring apps to this radio access network to do things, provide services, get telemetry, whatever. Is that correct? And is Juniper building apps or working with third-party software developers to support apps that I can run on this network, the 5G network? So let me address the second part of the question. Yes, we're working with several different partners to bring their X apps. So applications that run on the near real-time rig, you know, called X apps, right? Applications that run on the non-real-time rig we refer to them as R apps. Okay. So we are, yeah, just to, to uh, you know, to make sure that we continue the long tradition of uh, using uh, this, you know, shorthand. I feel like I need a seating chart for this conversation. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. BGP, EVPNs, VRFs, <laughs> RFs, XAPs, RICs, yes. It's endless, right? <laughs> so it, it helps to confuse and keep the whole thing so esoteric that uh, everybody gets scared, right? <laughs> but but uh, yeah, think, think of them as, you know, local uh, applications and global applications or intelligent applications Got that run okay. on the non-real traffic. Yes. So we are working with partners, absolutely. I mean, uh, we need to to enable seamless portability of third-party applications on our platform. That's why we're focusing on both network-based APIs as well as an SDK that makes uh, portability of third-party XApps on our rig uh, seamless. Got it. Okay. So the value proposition then for a network operator by going with the Juniper RIC is that I can run third-party apps to then help me create new services to sell to customers. That is correct. Well, mm -hmm. you get out of the box again, deep visibility into what is going on in the network, right? In the in the run. Right. There's also that operational side, yeah. <laughs> Which isn't right. something we necessarily got with 3G or even no. 4G, right? No, that is correct. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's heavy lifting to be able to get granular information about what is going on in the radio access. Mm. It's it's pretty complex, right? Now with 5G and Oran, this becomes pretty seamless and you don't have to to, to really interfere with the actual operation of the network. You can keep you know, adding applications as, as the network continues to operate, right? That's another mm. big advantage. Yeah, I kind of I think about it as like 10 years ago, we started to add APIs to switches. And now all of a sudden, orchestration, automation, and visibility and telemetry is real. It took 10 years to get here. This, this feels to me, or, or I put it to you, that this is the same transition that in the 5G network, appliances that have never been remotely operable, never been software, they at most they had command lines, are also going through the same software digital transformation, if you will, that they're now able to be monitored, that telemetry about the operation of the radio network is happening for the first time. And this RIC and RAPS and XAPS is a response to that, a way to address that at scale. That is correct. Yes, yes. Everything is moving to software. And the network itself is becoming distributed as well, right? And the separation of uh, control plane and, and user plane traffic makes that easy to do, right? Before 5G, we had essentially the same, you know, network pipes carrying both control traffic and data plane traffic. So anything that you would attempt to do on the control plane, on the signaling, for example, might interfere with uh, uh, the actual user plane traffic. Now, that those two are two very different paths. 
right? So you can keep adding capabilities in the control plane without interfering with the data plane traffic. Uh, and software makes all of that, of course, a lot easier to, to manage, orchestrate, monitor, control. Mm-hmm. Sure does. And I mean, that's, that's, I just want to try and sort of break that out as a separate thing. That's the con- it's the same sort of revolution or slash transition that we went through in traditional networking, mainstream networking, you know, with routers and switches and all that sort of stuff is also happening now. That That's basically the underlying thing about 5G is it's that transition. That is correct. Yes. Moving from appliances to software, intelligent uh, applications that run the infrastructure, right? I like to think sometimes, you know, this may not be a great analogy, but uh, I'm sure we're all mature enough to remember the days when we had uh, our audio equipment, in, you know, at home. And audio fields would have a turntable and a fancy CD player and a DVD player and yes. one or more uh, amplifiers and you name it, right? A rack full of stuff, right? Yep. And what do you have today? Just uh, you <laughs> know, get a smartphone. A little streaming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and you're and compressing all that speakers. wonderful audio to use Bluetooth. It's just. Uh... And all of that, all of that exactly <laughs> is in the cloud. Now you can stream any type of music you like, right? You don't have to go and manually change the CD, you know, that you have in the CD player, etc. So it's sort of, you know, the same analogy in overall in networking, you know, as we see a, a major shift towards software-driven everything. And that, of course, thankfully and happily, is coming into the telco uh, space, right? Transforming with 5G, essentially transforming mm-hmm really the architecture of the of the 5G networks. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand that that's vital for mobile networking because it has to scale up. We're talking about doing IoT over 5G or we're talking about multi-tenancy or we're talking about doing private 5G because everything you're talking about here works for private 5G as well, right? If a company decides, you know, you want to put a 5G network on a farm so that you can follow tractors around because they need a network, right? If you're going to have artificial intelligence in a tractor, it needs to exchange data with systems, you know, at the edge of the network and at the core of the network, you know, in the in the cloud itself. And so you need to have new ways of building these systems that don't involve custom hardware with, you know, restricted skills. It should just be built on, you know, commodity servers, commodity components as far as is realistically possible so that it's uh, fast, easy, and simpler than it ever was. Exactly. So you refer to the farm, right? Yeah. As several companies, Deere, for example, one of the major farm equipment manufacturers in the U.S., they retrofitted their tractors with high-end uh, servers to be able to do local uh, AI, if you wish. So as the tractor uh, crosses the field, it can tell the difference. They have cameras, right? And they can monitor in real time what is a weed and what is a crop, for example. Mm. And I hit a weed with uh, a chemical. weed killer. Right, and the crop with fertilizer. Right? So <laughs> we're talking, it's like beam forming, right, in 5G. You know, uh, you, you're very close to the network, no problem. You know, you have good collect, you know, connection. You're very far from the network and you're in a crowd space. We can, with, with uh, you know, massive MIMO, we can beam form and address that particular user. <laughs> think of that that way. I think, right, it, it's, it's really the sky, as I say, the sky is the limit as to what you can do in 5G. Mm. Mm. Uh, and it opens up the possibilities to uh, to do things that were not possible before. Think of factory floor automation, right? Where you have yeah. a bunch of robotic arms doing specialized work. Every robotic arm 
is driven by a hardware by by a hardware board that has all the intelligence locally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you cannot afford to tether or sort of you know not exactly tether, but but uh, you know connect those uh, robotic arms on a Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is not reliable enough. Five mm-hmm. G gives you the low latency and the reliability to be able to drive, take out all those expensive controllers that you have to put in every robotic arm and drive everything from the network. Mm-hmm. So it addresses cost issues, it addresses usability issues, and more than anything else, new capabilities, new applications, right? The network becomes smart. We're talking about smart mm. cities. The robot arms are quicker to reprogram, quicker to change. You can change the software that's driving them, tune them. Because Every- it used to be very difficult. I've worked in factories for soft drinks and crisp manufacturing and, and a range of things, and they used to have really difficult problems just putting data cables in because running power to the machines was easy, but running data cables to the machines was very hard. And as you say, Wi-Fi wasn't very good because it was easily disrupted by big motors, like electrical motors give off, you know, the interference that Mm -hmm. somehow always seemed to be exactly where Wi-Fi was. (laughs) I don't know, you know, it was a problem, yeah. So do you anticipate then that there's going to be a significant market for private 5G services where a manufacturer might want to set up its own private 5G network? Oh, it's happening. It's happening already, right? And, and again, we're at the very early stages, but we look at you know, some markets in Europe, for example. In Germany, we have factory floor automation now being trialed, uh, driven you know, through private 5G. In the US, we also see some uh, exotic use cases in manufacturing so it's happening. Uh, we still have uh, some road to cross or go to, to get to a point where reliability, uh, security, and performance meet the, the expectations. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're definitely on our way to deliver that. Now, when, when it comes to market size for private 5G, I think everybody agrees it's going to be a huge market, right? But if you look at projections and analyst reports, it ranges from you know 20 billion to 63 billion. I've seen all sorts of figures. <laughs> it's going to be a huge market. No, no way. Uh, you know how yeah. you look at it. But it's not going to be used for like an enterprise company that's got a head office with thousand people in a building. They're not so likely to deploy a private 5G. It makes more sense for somebody in the middle of the capital city. You know, just to connect smartphones to have just use the public network for that. Or is that it, not right? It, it really depends. Uh, no, we see all sorts of cases, right? As you know, in high-rise buildings, we often use DAS systems, right? Because mm-hmm. it's very hard to to for, for macro cells that uh, you know the antenna looks down, basically, right? Not up. Uh, so the signal quality and strength is not good as you go above Earth, you know, three hundred feet, you know, five hundred feet in high-rises. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes you put DAS systems to address the problem, but those are great candidates for a private 5G. And we see okay. again, you know, office buildings mm-hmm. uh, moving to 5G or uh, looking at, you know, deploying 5G. We're looking at uh, major retail companies looking to put 5G in their parking lots, in their uh, warehouses, etc. So a combination of Wi-Fi and 5G. It could be anywhere. I was a bit dubious about private 5G for a long time. I'm starting to come around to it. But because this sort of thing, this sort of software-enabled infrastructure means I can actually do, you know, I don't actually need, you know, 60 or 70 square feet of hardware to make a private 5G. I might actually just need half a rack or less even. 
and a lot fewer access points too, right? Mm -hmm. If you were dubious about 5G, it means that you have a great experience. You must have a great Wi-Fi provider. I don't. (laughs) 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 I hear complaints and I personally have a lot of complaints about, you know, my Wi-Fi experience. Uh, 5G gives you both um, much higher bandwidth, right? Reliability, and uh, it's really hard to beat. But we're not talking about replacing Wi-Fi with 5G, right? Wi-Fi is still, you know, in terms of uh, cost advantages as well as there's a lot of available base. expertise, yeah. yeah, and install base, yeah. and and that too, right? Yeah. Right. 5G. I mean, private 5G becomes a little more um, you know, yeah. complex, right? And I guess I guess the other side here is, I mean, Juniper also does service management orchestration or SMO, and you've also we've already proven that Wi-Fi can be dramatically improved via Mist. So we look at Juniper Mist and how they've applied AI to managing Wi-Fi and how much that improves the user experience. But the same thing holds true for cloud managed or centrally managed. 5G, because once you've got the software operations, you can then use a controller to talk to these, you know, non-real-time VMs that you're talking about, as well as the real-time. You can actually start to be, to have these complex systems that a 5G would represent that you couldn't have done, say, 10 years ago. That's absolutely correct. I mean, the Juniper Mist uh, Wi-Fi solution gives us a huge advantage, right? We understand the customer. It has been really a disruptor in the market. Mm. That's why we've seen essentially, you know, a huge growth, right, in that space and the Wi-Fi with Mist. And the differentiator is really the ability to bring AI to bear mm. and address visibility, reliability, and address user experience, for example, in a proactive way. So Mist enables you to address signal interference, for example, before the user actually experiences low quality connectivity on the Wi-Fi, right? Mm -hmm. It enables you to anticipate access points going down or access points being misconfigured. All of those capabilities through the uh, Marvis AI engine can be viewed in a dashboard and the operator can, or the IT person can address them uh, in a proactive way, right? So it's really the same type of capability that we can bring to 5G uh, with AI, uh, leveraging the Mist Cloud that is a disruptor in the industry because it addresses some of the you know day one, day two, day three operational challenges. And because everything is happening in software um, through the RANs, you can get that telemetry and then make those changes as needed using that intelligence and automation. You can bring automation to do those changes, exactly. Uh, You can have the so-called closed loop, feedback loop, right? So you monitor, you identify patterns, you identify events that you want to address, and you have the controllers that uh, mitigate the problem by doing reconfiguration of the radio or um, enabling, um, you know, disabling certain functionality. So, yeah, in general, the the ability to, to affect closed loop control, right? By monitoring and then actuating <laughs> um, <laughs> or software actuating, right? Reconfiguring components in the network enables you to address problems on the fly. Yeah, I'm guessing the challenges in the 5G space, in the service provider space, uh, in terms of that uh, automation orchestration must be significantly greater because we're talking about having to orchestrate across a RAN, across a core, across a transport network for things like network slicing. That's a significantly bigger problem than you know, X number of APs in a campus network. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, the orchestration is the complex component, right? Because not only that, you now have to figure out exactly where you're going to configure a particular component. Let's take the UPF, right? The user plane function. That is the router. Think of it as the router that decides where the traffic, the consumer traffic, the subscriber traffic, the enterprise traffic has to go, right? Mm -hmm. And you separate that traffic because you have either network slices that are configured for specific performance requirements like the URLLC, right? Ultra high reliability, low latency slice or the EMBB, the machine to machine communications, IoT type of traffic. Mm -hmm. So uh, different traffic is routed to different parts of the network. The UPF can be in the central you know, data center or it can be very close to where the access point is, right? Depending on the latency that you need to support. So orchestration becomes far more complex, intelligent, driven by performance requirements, driven by security requirements. And of course, the topology of the mm. network itself comes again uh, into the orchestration considerations. The other thing that orchestrations and uh, orchestration enables is to extend your network without having to go build new data centers, right? By leveraging hyperscaler assets. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you want to extend your network in a particular geography and you don't have the ability to go set up a data center, you rely on, you know, a hyperscaler um, edge cloud yeah. and you provision all of your functions right there. Yet you maintain control because you manage the orchestration of all the uh, software components, regardless of whether you own the actual data center or not. It's pretty cool. Mm. Such a radical change from where we were 10 years ago, really. It was just, yep. yeah, like... Uh, yeah, what strikes me as kind of amazing is that you're talking about needing different performance characteristics. So I need, you know, low latency, high-speed throughput for one set of apps. I need range and distance for another set of apps, but all of it is being delivered with essentially one set of hardware. It's all just being software controlled. That is correct, yes. Yeah, when you buy a server or you buy a laptop for that matter, right? You don't buy different machines to run your games and your Microsoft uh, applications, right? You right. do everything on one <laughs> hardware. Right. Right. So that's, you know, that's where we're driving. Of course, we need to have some accelerators there that do specialized work on the radio side in particular, but yeah, you decouple completely the software from the hardware. That's the idea. And that's what makes it really exciting. You know, the telco space, used to be a very esoteric, very different market, different architecture, different set of technologies, different protocols from what we call the IT space, right? right. And if you look, you know, with the introduction of 3G, those two spaces started merging. With 5G, operators are essentially become, you know, almost indistinguishable from cloud providers, <laughs> if you really want to think about it. Mm. And I hope they see the opportunity, right? Right. Because there is a lot of money to be made in that space as well by telcos, by addressing, you know, focusing on applications. And it's the similarity with cloud providers because you're talking about using standardized equipment, uh, common off-the-shelf hardware x86, and making your multi-tenancy, but doing all of the differentiation essentially in software. That's true, right. And private 5G provides yet another opportunity for uh, telcos, right? I don't think we have figured that out yet as industry, but here at Juniper, we're doing exactly that, to put the power in the hands of our operator customers to monetize private 5G. 
so they can have, you know, they can share their actual software and hardware resources, the network, right, with enterprises, mm-hmm. enabling private 5G. If you remember back in the old days, we had the APNs, the access point names, right? So mm. 20 years ago, if you want to connect your phone, your flip uh, phone, uh, to the internet, you had to uh, configure an access point name on your actual, actual device. Mm, what you had to manually did, configure the data. Yeah, part correct. of it. Yeah. Uh, right. That, what that did uh, was to enable a pipe for the data traffic itself, separate from the voice traffic, right? And you can think of it as poor man's private <laughs> or sort of, <laughs> you know, specific network. Now, all of that can, can happen in software. And you can have not just different type of uh, capabilities, you can have essentially your own private network sitting on your uh, telco provider's network, right? But you manage it through the customer portal. You manage your devices as an enterprise. You can configure your own SIMs. You can set up, you can request the telco provider to set up specific QoS and specific applications to your own quote-unquote private network. It's a very powerful business model, right? All of that is possible now. And, and at Juniper, we're focusing to bring this, to make this a reality. And one of the ways you're doing that is through what you're calling service management and orchestration? That's correct. Enabling network slicing, seamless network slicing end-to-end to be realized through our SMO, right? End-to-end network slice SMO. It's tricky you know, it sounds simple, but a lot of things have to come together. You know, if we look at the network, we have three major, three semantic domains, the radio, the transport, and the core network, right? Mm-hmm. And each of them have multiple incarnations, especially the transport. You have the front hall, you have the mid hall, you have the back hall, you have, you know, from your data centers to the cloud, etc. many islands of transport. When you create a network slice, you go from the access to the application side, to the data network where you run the application, right? And you have to stitch all of those domains together. The three semantic domains have to come together and be configured so that you can deliver the SLA, whether that's QoS or enabling specific applications to happen, right? And and I think the interesting thing here is it's not just a designed SLA. So a lot of the last two decades of, of SLAs was we've designed the network to meet the SLA, but there's never been any assurance that the network actually worked as designed. And we've had customers, you know, have had a different experience to what they were told they were going to get. And one of the interesting things about SMO is that you actually get an assurance. You can actually monitor via telemetry the end-to-end performance of the slice and give assurance to the customer that you're, they're actually getting what they asked for or contract to get. Well said, Greg. Well yeah. said. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> the case. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's odd to think about those things, right? It's such a simple thing to say. We just designed an SLA and then crossed our fingers that, you know, we'd say this much bandwidth is allocated for this circuit, but was it? Well, we don't know because we had no way to to, to measure it, but now we can because of these software instances and these APIs are in place, the service manager orchestrators are then choosing that to tool it up and say, and they're building in the assurance modeling as part of the default system. It's not an optional extra network monitoring is not a, a, an add-on. It's built in now, I think. You, you bring up a very interesting point, right? Um, even if, I mean, yes, you can monitor it, but the way you deliver the SLA, as you said, 
was to configure manually or through you know semi-automatic uh, ways, you know, software-driven ways, uh, all the network elements, all the servers, etc., to be able to deliver that SLA. And what that meant was that you reserve resources. Think about it, right? Uh, you reserve the resources, whether they are used or not used. And 5G or the software-driven architecture, 5G enables you to deliver the SLA without necessarily reserving resources. That, that's a very expensive way of doing things, right? So if I have, let me take, an, you know, as an example, just a router. And you say, you know, this router is capable of uh, routing up to 100 gigabit uh, per second traffic. And, and, and I, I put it in a place in the network where... I may have surges that can go to terabit, right? My dilemma is, do I put 10 of those just to be able to address the surge that may happen once a day or once a week, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or do I have smart ways to put just a couple of them and always enforce, you know, make sure that I can deal with the surge, right? right. So, you know, that's what software-driven you know, architectures enable us to do by using other smarts, right? Redirecting traffic, etc. So we're moving away from reserving resources, very expensive way, you know, uh, capex heavy uh-huh. model to smart AI driven uh, networks that allow us to always enforce SLA without breaking the bank. So maybe let's wrap this up. We had mentioned um, ORAN earlier as this uh, body, this standards body that's looking to bring open standards to the 5G mobile space. Is Juniper contributing to ORAN? Are you guys participating? I would say the role that Juniper plays is a catalytic in ORAN. We chair the Network Slice task group. One of our key architects, Arda Ackman, is heading up the use case. He's the editor of the use cases for Network Slicing. Mm-hmm. And we are, I think, in terms of number of contributions, Juniper is the biggest contributor in Oran. So yes, our role is, uh, you know, we play a, a significant role by leading, you know, the specs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are, we have strong presence in pretty much all the working groups, but in particular, network slicing, working group six on orchestration. And we believe that we're working with several other partners, of course, uh, several telcos. There are more than, what, 300 active participants in Oran. Juniper is one of the most active. And in terms of contributions, we're, I think, officially the biggest contributor to Oran. All right. Well, that does wrap up the time we have. If you're looking for more details about all of this, about the uh, RAN Intelligent Controller, Service Management Orchestration, and so on, uh, there are going to be a lot of links in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Uh, so you can go check that out or just go to Juniper and, and search there, put the terms in the search engine. You should be able to get what you need. Uh, thank you, Constantine, for joining us. Uh, thanks to Juniper for being a sponsor. And most importantly, thank you. Yes, you, the listener, for listening. We've got many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog. It's all at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at packetpushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.